Guys, it's amazing how the Lord works concerning the putting together of a worship service. Now, Seth never told me what he was going to be singing about. And I never told him what I was going to be preaching about this week. And every song that they sang was basically what I'm talking about today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. Because the Christian life is what we're wanting to concentrate on. The Christian life really is a homecoming, or rather a home-going. Basically, the Christian life, if you think about it, is that it's making preparations for another place, another world that is actually called our home. So we who are believers are getting ready to go home while here on earth. I don't know if you all know that or not, but you are a stranger, a pilgrim, and we have another home if you are a Christian. So therefore, anything that happens to you is basically making you prepared for what is going to happen when you get home. So here's a point. God has called every Christian person to make preparations for their home going. There are no exceptions to that. Every Christian, rich or poor, learned or unlearned, from the plumber to the banker, from the homemaker to the CEO, are called to make preparations to go home. So this begs the question, then, what preparations are we to be making? And I'm going to give you one, which I believe is the most primary, the most important, the preeminence that we need to give it. It's called, we are to become holy. While we're here, we are to become holy. We are to pursue holiness. That's what we are about. That's why we are called to be who we are. We are to be holy. We're to work towards being more holy day by day. And it's based on the reality of what Brother Philip read with us today, based in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. It says, but as he who called you is holy, who called us, God did. Is God holy? Yes, he is. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, God's holiness is the intrinsic impurity of his nature and his abhorrence of sin. He hates sin. Dear people, he hates it. There's no other way to describe it. We hear it all the time. God is love. God is love. God is love. But we never hear, you probably haven't heard any sermons about what God hates. God hates sin. He hates it. It goes against his very nature. So, if that is true, he is pure and he has a hatred for sin, we are to bear the same image. We are to bear holiness just like God is holy. And you may say, wait, wait a minute, we're to bear that? Yes, the Bible tells us we're to bear in our bodies and through our actions holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So if we're walking in impurity, 
and we're not walking according to what the Spirit and the, and the, and the Bible says, it says we're not disregarding anything, rules or regulations by man. We're disregarding God himself. So we're called to do that. And we're told in the Scripture that our very purpose of our salvation is that we be a people that are holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then third, we're commanded to pursue holiness, and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's what our scripture verse says today. So in looking at this, I want to read the first three verses, four verses, and then skip to verse number 14. Here's what it says, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood. Drop down to verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we are commanded that we are to pursue holiness. But look what it says. Verse 14, I want you to concentrate there. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It almost as sounds is that we earn our salvation by being holy. No, that's not what it's saying. Here's the point. We can never achieve salvation by works. As we look at the scripture, we always interpret it with what we call the analogy of faith. Let scripture interpret scripture. What does it say is the whole? We don't take an obscure and build a whole doctrine. We look at the whole. And when we look at the whole, we see things like Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you're saved through what? Faith. And it tells us by grace, and it says, it's not of ourselves, right? It's not of works. Why? Because we would boast. So salvation can never be achieved by our work, uh, by our works. We show our faith by our works. James 2, 20 and 22 says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So we have to understand this. Faith, true biblical faith, will exhibit itself through our works. But not only we don't have salvation by works, we have to have a righteousness, but the Bible says our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. So we have to have someone else's righteousness. That righteousness is Jesus Christ himself. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous 
for the unrighteous that, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So when we trust in Jesus Christ, what happens? That perfect, sinless, holy Son of God, we trust in what he did on the cross for us to remove our sins, to appease the wrath of God towards us. His holy life is credited to us. We become holy. Now, if you're sitting by someone that you don't think is really holy, I know y'all are looking at each other already, you know. No, not them. (laughs) Well, if they are a Christian, the Bible says they are holy. A Christian is holy. That is our position before God. We are holy. Now, listen to this kind of thing. I want you to understand. This is what Hebrews, going back to chapter 10, I'll read it to you. But listen to what it says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have, not, you've, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I came to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So our holiness, positionally, our holiness is Christ's holiness on our behalf. The Bible says that we are seated in the heavenly places. We are there already with Christ, positionally. But now, practically, there are two aspects of holiness we need to understand. Positionally, practically, our salvation is two holiness. So when we are saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes within us, resides in us to make us holy in our walk and in our practice. Therefore, if you are not growing in holiness, dear people, listen to what I'm saying. Or you do not have a desire to grow in holiness. You must take stock and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith because we just read this without holiness no one will see the Lord if you have not been declared holy and righteous by placing your trust in Jesus Christ you can have a profession but you're not going home not to the heavenly home that's what the scripture teaches us true salvation now leads to a walk of holiness although not perfect in any measure you will have a desire if you are truly saved to be more and more and more like Christ that means you will have a desire to be holy so holiness is not required for salvation but it's a part of salvation now some of you here Today and this is who I want to speak to. That was my introduction. That's pretty good, right? So we'll get to uh, dinner around 12.30. I'm teasing. We'll get out quickly. 
Some of you have been attempting to live this holy life and you've gotten a little weary. You remember the song we sang this morning? Uh, weary day, you know, we're going to, what? Fly away, okay? Some of you have gotten weary in the struggle. Some of you have getting, given up. Some of you have gotten dejected and discouraged in your walk with Christ. Others have just resigned themselves by saying things like, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just going to do what I do. No, that's not the way you are. You are holy. You are righteous. You are to live that way. And so therefore, I want to help you on this holiness road that leads home, please. So let's go back to the first two verses of, of chapter 12. And here's what I want you to remember. Others had the same struggle as you, yet they continued in faith. So can you. Others have struggled, have had the same struggles as you, yet they kept the faith. So can you. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Remember, we have to keep things in context when we're studying the Bible. A lot of people get in trouble because they get things out of context and they just take a verse and apply it and say, this is what that means. No, you have to keep it with the context. I want you to jump back to chapter 10. This is where this begins. This whole context begins back at chapter 10. I just want to share this with you just real quickly. Verse 19, if we look at verse 19 of chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." This is what he's trying to tell the Hebrews. You've gone through a lot of struggles. You've gone through a lot of trials. You've gone through a lot of persecution. But what we want you to do is to hold fast that confession. That's 19 through 23. Jump down to verse 32. It says, but recall the former days when you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Then he goes, when he's saying, you've suffered persecution, you've suffered suffering along your walk with Jesus Christ. But then he moves to say, in, verse, in chapter 11, which is called the Great Hall of Faith, he gives us example after example after example of those who walked with God, those who were called by his name, telling about their faith and all their struggles that they went through. We hear it quite often that we're going to have this assurance of faith, we're going to walk in faith, and everything's going to be okay as long as we just apply our faith 
But folks, these folks, if you read through chapter 11, you will see there are those that were looking and looking for that wonderful home and that wonderful promise, did not receive it because they were put to death. In fact, you see in verse 37 of 11, it says they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about as skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In other words, he's saying, here's the context, guys, look. People have struggled in this Christian life. They have trials. They have temptations. But remember those people because they are now in heaven as a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on. It says, therefore. Whenever we have a therefore in scriptures, we have to ask ourselves, what is that therefore, therefore? And that therefore points back to those scriptures to where it tells us you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He's doing this for your encouragement. He is saying to you, guys, look, people have struggled. Everybody's got a story. Everybody can tell us. In fact, the older we get, young people, listen to me, please listen to me and will you bear with us and be pay attention to your old grandparents because every time you come over and you ask us how we're doing, we're going to tell you about all our aches and pains. Amen? Yeah, yeah, come on, old folks. I'm with you. We tell them about our aches and pains. We tell them, oh, oh, this hurts, that hurts, whatever. We've all been there. What are you saying? You've got a great cloud of witnesses. They've been there too. So in your quest for holiness, in your quest, remember others had the same struggles. And they are cheering you on. They are helping you as we remember then. Second thing is this. If we walk to walk in holiness, to pursue holiness, we have to lay aside unholiness. We have to lay it aside. Listen to what it says. We got a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That includes weight and sin. That word weight is like encumbrances. One Greek translation puts it, it's like a tumor. Lay it aside, basically what it is. Now, if we stick with that metaphor that Paul is using here, it means that athletes training used to carry rocks on their back. They used to carry weights in backpacks, and they would do their training. We read from history, Roman soldiers used to go to the beach, and they used to run in knee-deep water back and forth, carrying heavy weights so they could be strong they could run with endurance basically this is what he's saying you're going to run a race we got to throw off all those things that are going to encumber us in running this kind of race the runners in the race did not run in full armor they actually ran with as little on as possible so here's what he's saying those things have to be laid aside We have to do the same thing. Lay those things aside. Because 
anything from without and anything from within that is campering our walk of holiness has to be laid aside. It retards our progress. It causes us to be unfit to do our God-assigned duty. So we have to lay those aside. Those kind of things, if we allow them in, to allow them to stay there, dulls our conscience. It blunts the edge of our spiritual appetite. We have to then say, I am dead to sin, and I'm alive to God. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples, what did he say? Matthew 16. If any man would follow me, let him deny himself. What? Take up a cross and follow me. And a lot of people get that mistaken. They, they think that the cross that they have is just some kind of burden that they have to bear. Oh, this is just my cross I have to bear. Right? The cross is an instrument of death, dear people. When Jesus called us to himself, he said, take up the cross, die. Come follow me. You want to live? Die. Die to self. Die to sin. And he made provision by becoming sin for us, as it says in 2 Corinthians. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when we are a disciple of Christ, we are coming not saying, well, I'm going to have to bear all these burdens. No, we're coming and saying, I'm coming to die. To die so that I may live. So understand, if we're going to pursue holiness, we have to put aside unholiness. Third thing, you are in the game, dear people, until the whistle blows. You are in the game until the whistle blows. Now, can you imagine you're playing a football game, you're riding the bench, and it's the fourth quarter. The coach puts you in, and you run out on the field, and while they're lining up to call the play, you're laying back here on the ground. And then your teammates are looking at you and going, what are you doing? And you go, well, I'm kind of tired of this game. I think I'll just watch you guys. I'll just watch you guys. Y'all go on and play. Crazy? Absolutely. But we have a lot of Christians that do that same thing. Yeah, I've done my part. Done it. Been there. Done that. Not going to do it again. Got the t-shirt. So therefore, I'm going to let somebody else do it. I'm just going to let somebody else do it. Folks, you are in the game until the whistle blows. Until God calls you home, guess what you are? You are in the game. Listen to what it says. Let's go on. It says, let us run, verse 1, the race that is set before us with endurance, with patience. That's what we are. You are a Christian athlete, even though you don't look like a Christian athlete. You are there. In fact, you are described as a shining light in the scriptures. You are described as a soldier of Christ. You are described as a branch of the vine. You are described as a stranger and a pilgrim. You are described as a runner, a racer. That is you. You may not look like it, but it doesn't deny the fact that that is what you are. So as you are running... You are to run with endurance. That means you're in it for the long haul, dear people. 
Some of yours says patience. But basically, the Greek says persevering endurance. That suggests self-discipline, rigorous training, continual activity, not passivity. Because think about this. If a racer quits racing, he is no longer a racer. He is no longer a runner. I like what A.W. Pink describes as our activity as a Christian. He says this, the race is that life of faith and obedience, that pursuit of personal holiness to which the Christian is called, turning from sin and the world in penitence and trust to Christ is not the finishing post but only the starting point. The Christian race begins at new birth and ends not until we are summoned to leave this world. The prize to be run is for heavenly glory. The ground to be covered is our journey through life. The track itself is set for us, marked out in the world. The rules to be observed, the path which is to be traversed, the difficulties to be overcome, the dangers to be avoided, the source and the secret of needed strength are all plainly revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And if we lose, the blame is entirely ours. If we succeed, the glory belongs to God alone. God alone. Folks, think about this. When we get over here and it says that we haven't endured uh, to the point of shedding of blood, I was reminded as preparing the sermon of a book that I read on Adoniram Judson. He was the first missionary to Burma. He went over with his young wife, Anne. And they labored in translating the Bible into Burmese so that the people there could understand the gospel. His burden was for the gospel getting to the Burmese people. Six years they labored before they had their first convert. Six years they labored through sickness, through tragedy, through war. His wife, Anne miscarried her first baby the other baby died eight months after she was born and died one month after that baby was born but the story behind it all was that as he was preaching the gospel as they were translating the bible into burmese that the Burmese government decided to persecute Christians and they said that he was a spy from England and they sent him to a terrible, awful, awful prison camp where he stayed for two years. And folks, if you read some of the descriptions about what they had to go through, they were hung up by their feet and they were only allowed to rest on the ground on their shoulders and their neck during the whole night and then they were let down during the day they were starved they were beaten they were kept side by side they slept in the excrement of their fellow prisoners many died the interesting part about that was that Anne his wife built a little hut right outside of the prison and what she did is that she went to the guards and she bribed them every day to give food to the people where she was starving herself and so that she could keep her husband alive and prisoners alive. She got sick, but she carried on. She was pregnant. She, she 
basically lost that baby, I mean, lost her life outside after he got released. After two years, she, she had the baby. They, he lost Anne. He buried the baby. He dug the graves with his hands in burying his wife and his baby. And he was so distraught over that, he walked out one day into the woods, into the tiger-infested woods. The people that he had been ministering to said he will never make it back alive. He will be eaten by tigers. He, he erected a little shack and fasted for 40 days, grief-stricken. They didn't think he was coming back. After 40 days, he walked out of those woods determined evermore to say, yes, I've had my struggles, but I'm going to continue. I'm going to endure. It's amazing that they had another, they had another missionary who died. Judson, Adoniram Judson married his widow. They served together. They went back to England on a furlough, the first furlough that they had had in 18 years. She dies. They go back. He marries another. <laughs> they serve for many years. They go back to report to England. And they find out after 33 years of reporting the second time to go back to England that he's become famous. He didn't even know it. He's laboring for Jesus Christ. He's become famous. They ask him to, to stay and to preach. And he did for a while. But his heart was with the Burmese people so he gets back on a boat and goes back and almost makes it. But he succumbs to illness on the boat and they had to bury him at sea. But he said, I'm still going no matter what to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what? He was in the game until the whistle blew. He was in the game. So must we. And let me close with this. How do we keep our encouragement? Listen to verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. What does he tell us to do? Who is this author and the finisher of our faith? This is Jesus Christ. We have a great cloud of witnesses who trusted Christ, who are cheering us on, saying, you're going home, you're going home, come on, come on, just a little while longer, come on, die to self, pursue holiness, come on, you can do it, you can make it. But we're not to look to them. Ultimately, we are to look to our leader, Jesus Christ. That word author means take the lead. That word author is used other places where it means captain. In Hebrews chapter 2, the same word, it says the captain of our salvation. In other words, we look for the one who's out in front. You've seen races in the Olympics where they're running the mile and you've got the pace setter that's always out in the front. That's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus tells us to look to him. Look to him. He lived the life of faith, perfect life of faith. He always did the will of the Father. He always sought to please the Father. It was by faith that he resisted temptation. It was by faith that he raised the dead. He performed miracles, looked in total dependence to the Father. And this same Jesus is the perfecter, the one who's going to complete us as we go home.
fact, Philippians tells us, he who began a good work in you will what? Complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know how he endured? He looked to the joy. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he had eternity in mind. He had in mind that he was bringing the souls of many to present to the Father through his death. He had that in mind, therefore he despised the shame. He didn't mind. He said, I've got the goal. I press on. I'm going because I'm bringing souls with me. I am bringing them to present to the Father. So folks, we are to look to Jesus. But what's our final joy? What's our final joy? Folks, as much as we're about to enjoy some good food, some brisket and some chicken and some sausage, and I'm pretty sure some of you, after my promptings, brought banana pudding, as much as that is enjoyment and sitting around, you know what a greater joy is going to be? (laughs) When we all see Jesus, right? We sing about it. We think about it. We are going to see him, the author and the captain of our salvation. So let me close with this. A couple of questions today. It's always good to come back to questions because when we read the scriptures, we have to ask, is this going on in my life? Is this going on in my life? So here's the questions. Is there practical evidence in your life that you are pursuing holiness? practical evidence that you're pursuing holiness on your journey home evidence Jesus says by your by their fruits you will know them are you at least desiring to be holy is there any grief over your lack of holiness so remember it is not those who just profess to be saved that will enter heaven but those who are holy those who have been made holy by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, if you're here and you have no desire for holiness, you need Christ. In the same book that we've been reading in Hebrews, it tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. In fact, Jesus says and tells us to fear Him who's able to destroy the body and soul in hell. Fear Him. And if you walk away today and you do not place your trust in God, be in fear, dear people. I can't tell you any other way. And I'm not being mean and unloving. I'm doing the most loving thing I can. Fear God who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. If you walk out of here and you don't place your trust in Jesus Christ and see that you cannot save yourself, but you need Jesus. If you walk out of here without that, fear Him. Fear Him. You have the opportunity where you sit to place your trust in the Lord. It's through repentance, recognizing that you are a sinner, that you've broken the laws of God, that you, you stand guilty before the bar of judgment, and that because he's a good judge, he has to condemn sin. 
and he has to punish you. But understand, God also made a provision through Jesus Christ who steps up and says, I will take their punishment. But it comes when you trust, place your trust and faith in what Jesus Christ did. When you repent of your sins, you see your sins, and yet you know that I can't save myself. I've sinned against a holy God. I need a Savior. Would you call upon him today? Would you trust him? You can do that right where you sit. Would you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that was poured out upon the cross and the mercy that was there. Thank you, O Lord, that you have given us encouragement through the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us, that you would help us, O Lord, in this pursuit of holiness as we die to sin daily and we present ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness, O Lord. Help us to be holy. Help us to lay aside all weights and all sin that so easily besets us and let us run with endurance this race that you've put us in. Help us to be in the game, O Lord, until the whistle blows. Help us to glorify your name. And Father, I pray also, I pray also, O Lord, that you would open the heart of someone to believe today. Grant them repentance. Help them to place their trust and faith in you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.